A journalist sometimes has to take a step back and separate yourself from the emotions of that moment. And that can be tough to do, especially when you're in the middle of that emotion. Yes, your life is different now, and we don't know how long it's going to be this way, but we still want you to be the journalist that we know that you are and find those stories, find a way to tell the story of the life you're living right now and the, the life that your friends and your family and your community are living right now because the, the documents that you create will capture this life for all of us. Hey there, friends, and uh, welcome back to another episode of the Yearbook Wise podcast. I uh, have been watching uh, and, and reacting to all sorts of posts and questions uh, on Facebook and in other professional spaces uh, and networks about how we confront working with our students and helping support their journalism while we are all in uh, this, this new era of living with uh, coronavirus. I, uh, I hope that you and yours are well and, and healthy and safe. And I'll say, as you hear me repeatedly say throughout my interview, uh, that your safety and, and health are paramount. Uh, so please be mindful of that and, and heed all of the guidance that you're being given by your local government and healthcare workers um, as it goes to you as students or you as advisors supporting your students in doing um, their work, whether it be for yearbook or newspaper or journalism in general. Uh, but that said, I was able to speak with my longtime friend and mentor, Mark Murray, uh, about how we can uh, take care of all of our photo needs um, now that we are locked out of our labs, our SLRs are in our equipment cabinets, uh, locked away, we don't have access to them. How do we think about visuals uh, for our reporting and coverage? Um, you know, I intended this to be a 30-minute conversation. Um, I'll tell you, Mark talks a little bit about his uh, professional background at the start and some of the organizations he's involved in, and, and then we get into the, the thick of it on advice. But this is going to be about an hour-long uh, or so podcast. Feel free to break it up. Um, I think that you're going to find it very, very useful and instructive. Also, if you haven't seen them already, pay attention to the show notes um, down at the bottom. Um, I post a link to a video about the Creative Commons as well as a Google Doc uh, highlighting some of the techniques that Mark and I talk about in the podcast about creating kind of a home photo studio DIY for still lifes and creating visuals that could accompany some of your uh, coverage packages. Uh, for that, though, I think it's time to get into the interview. Uh, this is me with Association of Texas Photography Instructors Executive Director Mark Murray. Joining me on the YearbookWise podcast today is my friend Mark Murray coming to us from New Mexico this morning. Mark, how are you? I am doing great. Thank you very much. How uh, how are things in, in New Mexico right now? I know and, and the audience will know that you're not um, actively teaching in a classroom right now, but you're aware of, of the public schools and the community. How are things down there? Well, it's so the New Mexico governor and Santa Fe is actually the capital of the state. So she's here in, in the same town that I'm in, has closed all schools uh, for the entire state. Uh, she did that earlier in the week uh, or last week. And um they are closed through mid-April, I believe. I, I don't know the exact date. but um, So the entire state is already dealing with that and is seems to be, um, you know, I, I had to get out and get some groceries yesterday, and there's still a lot of people out there. It's I, I don't think, I think the state right now has 14 diagnosed cases, and doesn't necessarily seem to be taking it as seriously as some other states have. Uh, it. But it is, you know, it, it, New Mexico, as I've learned since I, I got here last May, uh, is is just a different kind of place. Uh, we're actually supposed to get snow tomorrow. So uh, it's a, it, it is a, it's 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 been a, a, a nice relocation, but also a different one as well. 
And we should say, too, from the top, we're going to get into photography here in a bit um, after we talk a little bit more about you. But in, in nothing that we're sharing today, we are literally like, I don't know, a thousand or fifteen hundred miles apart. And we want all of you listeners and all of you students, you advisors to maintain all your social distancing and the rest. And as we talk about being out and about in the community, things like that, please continue to be safe and wash your hands and follow all the guidance of your local healthcare professionals and governments and things too. Um, Mark, uh, before we dive in on talking about photo in the, <laughs> the age of coronavirus uh, for your book and, and journalism both, can you tell the audience just a little bit about your path through scholastic journalism? Sure. Um, so I, I always have, have enjoyed sharing the story. I decided in the eighth grade as a, uh, a yearbook staffer on the roundup at Nichols Junior High that I was going to become a photo teacher. And so that's I went all through high school, told the photo teacher at Lamar High School in Arlington that he had to keep the job long enough for me to come back and take his place. And that's exactly what happened. So I uh, I went back in and taught in the same classroom that I had spent most of my high school years in, uh, spent 12 years teaching photography and then moved into administration with my principal, who was the new executive director for technology for the district and uh, spent 22 years in administration working with technology and helping support that uh, across a district of around 60,000 students. And ended up doing a lot of different things during that time, uh, but never really lost my connection to scholastic journalism. And that's always been a really important part of my life. And so I get to work with great groups like CSPA and NSPA and JEA and TAJE and SIPA and probably more acronyms out there than I can remember. That's a full uh, alphabet soup. It is. A, it is a full alphabet soup. Um and I get to, you know, I, I tell people that uh, I have the best job in the world now because uh, I'm no longer managing a large group of people and I'm no longer managing textbooks for a district of 60,000 kids. But I get to go teach uh, with students and teachers that are excited about being there. Uh, I get to travel, which I've always enjoyed doing. I get to eat really well, and that's always really important to me. And the most important thing is that I don't have to grade anymore. And that's really the thing that I am the most happy about. I got involved with um, ATPI, or the Association of Texas Photography Instructors, uh, very early on in my teaching career. And it was an organization that was primarily a group of high school teachers around a, a college down in uh, southeast Texas. And sort of took it over and 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 helped grow it. And uh, so I've been first president and now executive director for ATPI for 33 years. Oh, right, right. And wow, wow. <laughs> I uh, it, it and it's and it is a, a truly a labor of love. It's a I, when people ask me why ATPI has had the success that it has, I think the the one thing that I tend to point to is that. This may be a surprise to some of your listeners, but but Texans are fairly competitive, and I know that could be a shock to some of you all. But but as I said, you you put a contest out there, and they will come, and uh, that's one of the things that that I think we've we've done very well with um, our our fall contest that we do is had 7,000 entries this last year. So from it's, it's a, important to note from around the country. This is from, not just well, a Texas. And, and and I can proudly say, after all these years, we are now an international contest because we had one Wonderful. of our members from Canada enter photos and actually had some winners, uh, some really great stuff come, coming from them. So we are now an international student photo contest, which we're very excited about. Um, it's fantastic growth. It is. It's and and the, the so the interesting thing about it that again for your listeners benefit so. Photography in Texas is taught under four different curriculum areas. It's either an art class or a journalism class or a career and technology class or a vocational class. And, and those last two are considered very different types of courses. The certification for each of those is completely separate. And that's how I first got involved in all this was in order for me to teach photography at Lamar, I had to go back and do 30 hours of drafting and welding and occupational safety and liability because that was the curriculum area that the school offered photography under. And I wasn't certified in industrial arts because that wasn't my major in college. 
So um, the unique thing about ATPI is that we include all four of those groups, all four of those curriculum areas in our membership, which means that our teachers get to share ideas with other teachers that are in completely different curriculum areas. And I think that's, that's really driven what I see photography as it's not just art and it's not just journalism, but it's, you know, underlying whatever you do in photography is all about the basics of light and exposure and composition and the things that, that I think I've tried to teach all these years. Well, listen, we've got, um, a, a really, I mean, I, I've been saying to people, it just feels surreal, this moment that we're living through right now. And um, you and I both know uh, being uh, involved in so many organizations, and, and I maintain a, probably an unhealthy uh, engagement with Facebook. <laughs> I've got a little bit of a problem there. <laughs> but uh, there's a lot of, I mean, I, I guess now it's pretty, it feels like pretty much everybody. I'm not sure if, you know, Idaho is in lockdown or some of the rural areas, but there are enough advisors and yearbook staffs and journalism staffs out there that are uh, isolated and uh, closed out of their schools, uh, locked out essentially of their labs, that we're seeing a lot of panicked advisors saying, how do I fill these pages? How do I meet my final deadlines? Um, are, are all of our DSLRs, all of our cameras are locked in the equipment cabinet and I cannot get back to them for who knows how long. And I wanted to have you on the podcast, as I did have Lori Oglesby last week. We talked, she and I, more about coverage, and you guys can look back in the feed for some suggestions there. She did a, a just a beautiful job kind of talking everything from, uh, let's, let's just admit we're probably going to blow past our final deadlines, and that's okay, it is what it is, to here's how to fill some blank pages, to here's how to take care of your staffs. Mark, you and I are talking kind of a photo 911. Like we, I feel like we have photo emergencies on our hands, photo opportunities, though, on our hands, too. And I don't want to run around like a chicken with my head cut off saying, you know, the sky is falling. Go get your photography. Um, it's probably because I've had too much coffee to drink this morning. But <laughs> we, we want to offer some insight and some perspective to in a respectful way, not, not say calm down. Cause I, I think sometimes that can actually be very disrespectful, but, mm-hmm. but Hey, assess where you are, identify some goals, identify the resources that you have, which is what kids and what equipment under these circumstances, and then create some opportunities. And I think that's what I'd like to focus on with you is creating opportunities for these student journalists to maintain some routine, to keep on creating good journalism, and do it with the resources that they have on hand, whatever those might be. Um, So the first thing that I'd like to talk with you about is some opportunities that students would have for getting images of the things that aren't going to happen any longer. Um, And we'll talk a little bit about, in a a moment, I think, some of the, and here's where we are, the reality of empty shelves in the grocery store and things like that. But if we're talking prom or spring sports or um, high stakes testing, the SAT, things like that, you know, like where do we find a good image of, um, or how do we create a good image of a hand holding a pencil, filling in a bubble sheet, right? To illustrate, I'm thinking like a lot of like, not photo illustrations in Photoshop, like we're cutting and masking and things like that, but right. what can we take a photo of to illustrate the point that we're not going to be gathered for the SAT? So what are some thoughts that you have there? Well, and I think I think the, the best title for this category is what are the still lifes that we can create that will capture those feelings of these are the things that would have been happening if we were still at school, like right. the testing and prom and what, however long we think we're going to be out, what are some of the things that we can be capturing image-wise that would fit that? And so I think it's, you know, if you look at the concept of a still life, it's, it is a collection of items well composed, well laid out in terms of how they overlap each other, but somehow capture that sort of mood or or spirit of that moment. Uh, You and I were talking this morning as we were thinking about this in terms of, you know, the, the track shoes for the, to represent the, the, 
the track members who are not going or the track team that are not going to be competing now and and doing this really beautiful shot you know the the track shoes you had were brightly colored and uh, maybe a little worn on them and so what can we set up in a house in some sort of you know a bedroom somewhere to be able to capture these in a really nice looking photo it, it the way i tend to th- describe still lifes is what you know think about what you've seen in a photograph from a museum of a piece of sculpture or something like that that's sort of what we want to see if we can create and that's pretty easy to do even if you're stuck at home so what are some of the resources and materials that i'm thinking so i grew up on macgyver right richard dean anderson like exactly yeah, he could diffuse like a nuclear bomb with duct tape and a, a toothpick and a piece of chewing gum. So, like, I'm thinking, and full disclosure, you and I have talked about this a little bit already this morning. So, you know, I'm thinking um, a trifold. So, I want like a white background, and we're going to talk mm-hmm. about light in a second. But I, I want to do a lot of this stuff on white background because our pages are white. And as the audience will find out in a moment, maybe we're talking about cutting these objects out. Maybe, maybe not, Mm -hmm. um, so that they kind of uh, float or sit in the background. But I want to start with white, a clean background. So for me, that's like a trifold science display board or a sheet or two of foam board or the backside of a roll of of wrapping paper, if it's like Mm -hmm. thick enough. Um, I took down one of the, you know, the the. shade in your window that's like spring loaded and goes whappity 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 if you pull it too too hard i um my wife looked at me uh she was like what are you doing and i pulled the shade uh out of our window and draped it on a, a, a chair's seat and up the back and over the back and i'll include uh, a link to a document uh, with these photos so listeners if you're like what the heck is he talking about look in the podcast description and Mark and I are going to provide some additional notes and content there to demo for you kind of how you could MacGyver this or kind of like make it up as you DIY it, right? DIY mm-hmm. photo studio exactly. at home. Um, so I'm thinking about a white background. Mark, could you talk a little bit about like where could we find good light at home? Well, so I think what you want to look for is maybe a window that is not necessarily east or west facing because you may not be looking for direct light. What you want is really an indirect light. You want light definitely coming from one direction, but not to be so harsh that it creates really hard shadows to deal with. So uh, uh, if you have a north or a south facing window, those are, you know, north light is the, is sort of the, the holy grail for photographers because it's such a pretty light to work with. But you want some direction to it. You don't want it to just be a flat light that it that provides no shape or texture to what you're photographing. I would also add, Mike, that in terms of your backgrounds, you know, go go borrow a, a, a white sheet from mom and, you know, use that to create a background as well. The, the key to having a really good background is that you don't want a seam. You don't want to see where the background meets the ground. So one of the ways in which you do that is to create a slope to the, your background. In other words, it's, it, it's actually called a psych for a studio in, in a studio environment where it, it's a 45 degree curve between the back and the bottom. And what that does is it removes a sense of place that having a hard line creates. Right. Um, right. That's really important. I think the other thing, the reason we tend to use white, whether it's background paper or wrapping paper or the, the blinds from your house, wappity, 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 <laughs> is that if you light it correctly, and, and I would say while we, while natural light is great, sometimes artificial light can be really useful as well because if you have like a desk lamp that is that you can pretty much direct where the light is going, you can take that white background and go all the way from a pure white to a pure black just by controlling what the light hits and what it doesn't hit. So right. use a folder 
to block light from the background and it'll go into darkness, which creates a really nice seamless background for whatever you're photographing. And, and if you want black, just like taking a white sheet, I mean, maybe you've got a black, I don't know, a black coat or, or uh-huh. a black blank. I mean, just think about like kind of do a mental checklist of like, oh, uh, unfortunately, we're not going to have our science fair. So I've got my science fair project board. Like there's so many things people would probably have in their houses, some clamps, some tape. There's all sorts of little photo studio stuff that you can just kind of DIY together. Exactly. I love it. And, and it really is just, it's a matter of thinking outside the box in terms of, oh, wait, look at what I've got sitting over there in the corner that would make a really great background. And I would say, so so maybe you're going to do a still life of some of the food that you are preparing or some of the, you know, the, the baking that you're doing to, to stay busy. Well, instead of using a, clean backdrop what if you have a cutting board and you're putting items on that cutting board so there are other props that you can incorporate into your photo to make it look as realistic as possible to create this moment in time that a still life represents and i bet actually as you as you said that i just thought about like the the bon appetit instagram feed or the delish instagram feed especially with food stuff but not exclusively with food stuff there's so many brands i could see a lot of high tech uh play for this as well like if you needed to take a really um maybe you're talking about review classes for the sat or coverage or something and uh you have your graphing calculator at home but you want to take like a really well done photo that like go find an instagram feed where Apple or somebody else is like highlighting their phones, be like, oh, use that as your inspiration piece. Mm-hmm. The sporting equipment one is absolutely germane. Fashion, if we're going to be talking about, unfortunately, like my kids are devastated at the prospect of missing prom. But yeah, I mean, putting together a pair of heels uh, or a bow tie and a what, like whatever you can do to kind of still life that together to to give your coverage package in again this could be for newspaper and online news but also for your book to give it that visual that we need this can't just be oh we have white pages and now it's a wall of words like you've got to still have that visual and that's what we're talking about exactly exactly that's and that's critical and and you know so so you maybe you're in a part of the country where flowers are starting to bloom so maybe you're going to grab a, a bloom and use that as part of the prom still life, uh, you know, to represent the boutonniere or the corsage. So there are, you want to look for those common elements that are around you every day, but look at them in a different way so that you're thinking about them photographically rather than, oh, well, look, there's a vase of flowers that mom brought in from the garden. So another opportunity, and I've been doing a lot of thinking and work with this recently because of an ongoing project that I'm involved in through NSPA, with which you're very familiar, Mark, is um, leveraging uh, photos that are out on the Creative Commons. Uh, Now, just briefly, I'm a huge proponent of us as advisors and educators teaching our students to source content the right way appropriately, that you can't just you know, in air quotes, take a picture of Taylor Swift off of Google because you need to use a photo of her for your, you know, pop culture package or something like that. Those those are copyrighted images. The rights belong to the photographer, most likely. But the Creative Commons, you know, almost, what, 20 years ago now, uh, people said, hey, I'm a content producer and I'm putting my work not under copyright, but on the commons. And as the person that created it, I'm saying it can be used for this, for X, Y, Z, most commonly, as long as you attribute it back to me. So for those of you who are listening who aren't familiar with the commons, I'll illustrate um, my kids did an A to Z kind of trending pop culture and Lizzo ended up in it and uh, the, the, the singer and then uh, they did some Grammys coverage and Billie Eilish had a big night for the Grammys and Billie Eilish has not been to Corning, New York before. So we, uh, <laughs> excuse me. She needs we, to yeah. come here. I've been in Corning. Oh, it is a really cool place. It is such a great, she, she should play the, the Museum of Glass. Oh, um, that would be so cool. So we went to Flickr, F-L-I-C-K-R, Flickr. There's no E in it. And if you type in Billie Eilish or Lizzo or Disco Ball or whatever, 
uh, search it, and then at the top left of kind of the main screen, it says any license. And you click on that, and you click all Creative Commons. What you've done, advisors and staff members that are listening to this, is put yourself in a safe space where those images have been authorized for some form of copyright-free use, where you won't get penalized, you won't get an angry phone call. Most commonly, again, as I said a minute ago, you just have to cite and attribute um, that image. So, Mark, I know that you're a massive proponent of, uh, as I am, uh, to be clear, uh, the the camera in the student's hands, do it yourself, get the coverage yourself whenever possible. These are strange days, my friend. So if we're going to need photos of um, uh, people in, in masks and like hazmat suits to illustrate a story package we're doing, or if we need an image of the COVID-19 virus molecule itself, like that stuff is out there in the public domain or the commons for our staffs to use. What are a couple quick one-two points that you would offer up to an advisor or staff member about sourcing to the commons? Well, I, I agree with you completely. I think it is an amazing resource. I would also point people to the the new commons that NSPA has created. Right. And, I mentioned that it, didn't get into it. Yes, do it. Yes. Well, so so while it was created around the concept of the campaign political coverage from around the year, I already know that some of the advisors that we both know very well have already started encouraging their kids to upload these other kinds of images not just the political coverage in that environment where through the NSPA holding uh, they're able to provide those pictures to other staffs. So I think everything that we talk about today could just as easily be added. And, and, and we're saying this without, you know, telling Laura Widmer or, or you know, <laughs> that, that group, oh, hey, we're going to tell people to put a whole lot more pictures out there. But at the same time, the kinds of images that we've been talking about this morning may not necessarily be just specific to your school. So if it is something that you think other staffs could utilize, then share it. Um, we've always said, so you're at the, you know, I'm going to go back to last fall. You're at the football game and you get a really great shot of the other school's team or players getting a tackle or beating your player out, share it with that other school. Let them use it in their book because you're probably not going to put it in yours. Uh, right. I think I think we're in that same world right now where we can all be creating some really cool things that will that we can share with other staffs that they may be able to use even if we don't. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I do want to go back. Uh, there's been a, a big call on some of the Facebook groups for how to illustrate the virus itself. And governmental images are all in the public domain. So the, the White House you know, photographers feed on down through the CDC, the National Park Service. They, those images are uh, public domain is another vocabulary for you. It means freely available for use. Um, they're not copyrighted. Uh, so if we go to, I think it's cdc.gov and they have a newsroom site, there's coronavirus and COVID-19 imagery um, right there. You can download it and include it right in your, uh, right in your coverage packages. Well, and, and I would add, Mike, that, you know, if you wanted a historical reference and you actually wanted to find images from the 1918 flu pandemic and yep. correlate that, those kinds of images are out there uh, and available from the government as well. So there, there's certainly um, a lot of reference material that staffs could utilize. Absolutely. And I made a brief, uh, it's a 10-minute video about how to go hands-on and find uh, those images and then also how to cite them appropriately, both in online and on print. And advisors, uh, listeners, I'll include a link to that video in the uh, description of the podcast. Now, Mark, you, you and I have said a couple times already this afternoon, uh, this new reality. Uh, with Lori, we talked about it being you know, un uncharted territory. You can use whatever cliche you want to, but this is all just weird and <laughs> surreal. And, you know, we, we did... Um, we did we did learning packet. I'm going to digress here for a second, but we did learning packet distribution for over 1,100 students um, yesterday at our school in, in Corning, and it continues today uh, with staff volunteering to to kind of host the uh, the students down there and walk around. And in, I, 
I had a lot of kids. I said, how are you doing? And they said, I'm okay. And I posted about this on Facebook this morning. I said, listen, it like, it's okay to not be okay. Like I, I, and I truly believe, I think we're in like some kind of, of slowly progressing low grade, constant shock right now. Not mm-hmm. a, not a like car accident trauma shock. Like, oh my God, I have a bone sticking out of my leg, but it's just this simmering unease and, and all the rest of that. And And the reason that I mentioned that is because as you and I were talking in, in preparation for this, like we need to, yes, have pictures of maybe the virus or of uh, track cleats to go with what we're missing in track, but we also have this new reality that we should be documenting uh, ourselves as, as advisors, just as human beings, I guess, but we would want our kids to document themselves in, in real time. Um, online learning is is where it's going, and what are our daily routines and schedules like, and what is... What does the beans or butcher aisle look like at Wegmans right now, our local grocery store? And how do we uh, seize those opportunities to capture some of those visuals and pair them with our storytelling as well? So where do we begin there, Mark? Well, I think I think that the role of the journalist or the role of the photographer as a documentarian of, of you know, we we often think of the yearbook as being a document of what your school year is like. Well, this is what your school year is like now. So what are the documents? What are the the stories and the images that you can capture that show us what we're living with right now? And so I think having that, you know, so you're going to be in an online learning class, make sure you're, capturing that. It, it would be the same as if you were, you know, I always tell students that if you are sitting in a classroom and something is happening in front of you, you have to learn to observe that as a journalist, not just as an observer. And right. I think now that's, that, that's the way we want you to think is that, so, so is something happening? Is something not happening right now? Can you capture that in a way that you're able to share that with your readers? Um, so let's paint a picture. If, if, a, if a yearbook student is in the middle of a um, distance learning U.S. history class or something like that, are, are you saying like lean back from your laptop on your couch and, and take a picture of like a hand kind of on the keyboard of the laptop? Would that be a, a decent? I want to I paint some pictures for the audience. Sure. What, are, what are we talking about? I, I, I think something like that. I think even just a, a a screen capture of the room that you're in with all these people with with what I think, you know, there's there's been some really good stories for our advice for teachers about the type of space you want to create if you're going to be doing online learning and and what's behind you and those kinds of things in an online classroom, you're not going to have any of that from any of the other participants because they probably haven't learned or thought about that. So, so what are you seeing in terms of the space that every student is inhabiting as a part of their learning environment right now? And be documenting that, be capturing that because that's a part of, of who people are today. Um, I think that making, you know, keeping that social distance, but, but covering how your community, how your, your school community, but also your community at large is dealing with social distancing and, and closures and all those kinds of things is a part of the story that staffs need to be telling. And so, you know, I, I know in, in the, coverage the or the the podcast that you did with Lori last week about alternative coverage or new types of coverage all of this needs to be part of what the story that you're telling in your book or in your newspaper online whatever your publication type is and and let's talk about a couple other examples i was <laughs> I have a very supportive superintendent, so I, I was dropping off Mac desktops around town yesterday because he said, strip the lab and get computers in the hands of the kids that need them to help finish the yearbook, which it, it chokes me up even talking about it because just to have that support. Oh, is, exactly. Uh, That's, it, that, that, was, that is so wonderful. It's incredible. Um, 
But I said to one of the kids in, in front of her mother, and again, for podcast listeners, I understand Mark and I are 100% on social distance and whatever the regulations are that are in place in your local community. But if you are going out to your local grocery and recognizing, as we'll probably talk about more in a second, that you know the best camera is the one that you've got with you, uh, yearbook student, rookie, EIC, anything in between, taking a well-composed photo, maybe with a vanishing point, you know, down there in the background, maybe crouched down a little bit in a aisle where a whole shelf has been wiped out of beans or of toilet paper um, and the rest of it. Those are, that, 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 is, that is literally what's happening in our communities right now. And right. we need to encourage our student journalists to, to document it. Another example, I'm very proud of, of the Corning Painted Post School District here. Um, they've set up 11 meal distribution sites a day um, for members of our community who we have a, about 49% free and reduced lunch. And so we're going to have these meal distribution sites. And I would be the first to acknowledge, as I'm saying this extemporaneously, that there could be, there could be some privacy issues um, that we would want to be sensitive to. But if it was possible for a student journalist to photograph, you know, the school district um, panel truck that that says such and such school district on the side, or food service workers unloading um, bagged lunches, a detail shot of a of a rack or a tray or a box filled with box lunches or bag lunches, you know, you pair that with a story that has an interview with the food services director, which frankly, these days, we might be conducting over email or video chat or something like that. But that turns into really timely, uh, compelling coverage about how your district, your school, your community responded to this crisis. I think you, you've nailed it on the on the head there, Mike. It's you, you want to be covering what people are doing now that, you know, get up early, you know, and go to the local grocery store and capture the line of people that are standing outside waiting to get into the store. Absolutely. That, that's, that's what, you know, I, 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 as a, as a teacher, I always have to throw in a little bit of history. Go look at the pictures captured by the photographers during the great depression through the Farm Security Administration, Dorothea Lang yep. and Walker Evans, and look at how they just documented life in general during the Great Depression. And it and it can provide you with so many ideas and inspiration of the kinds of images that you could be looking for right now. And let's just, you know what, I want to, this is not in our show notes, and I'll, I'll try to, um, try to keep my head on straight here, but with the diminishment of of support and subscription and the dwindling resources that so many of our local news newspapers and news outlets have uh, the the idea of news deserts cropping up across america is is absolutely uh, it, it's a fact. It's happening. You know, not not everybody can be the Washington Post or the New York Times um, or or any of the rest of it. Recognizing that, it could be our student journalists that are in a Wegmans parking lot capturing things that would respect not even their local reporters, if there are any, are capturing, mm -hmm. that, that you would invoke some of the greatest photographers of their generation in the early 20th century, recognizing that, that, that some kid with an iPhone could tell that story these days yeah. is... Uh, it, 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 you're right. And, and I, I, I think the, the, the emotions that you're feeling right now are the things that you know, a journalist sometimes has to take a step back and truly be, you know, separate yourself from the emotions of that moment. And that can be tough to do, especially when you're in the middle of that emotion. But that's sort of what what I think we're saying to our listeners, both in Lori's podcast last week and now today, is that, yes, your life is different now, and we don't know how long it's going to be this way, but we still want you to be the journalist that we know that you are and find those stories 
whether it's in writing or in photography or in illustrations or whatever your creative ever endeavor is, find a way to tell the story of the life you're living right now and the, the life that your friends and your family and your community are living right now because the, the documents that you create will capture this life for all of us. And, and yeah. that's, that's a really, that, that, that is the role of a journalist. That is what a journalist lives to do. And, and, and we want you guys to capture that. Don't, as you said, it's not about sitting on the couch and playing some video game for hours on end. It's about how can you tell stories about yourself and your community? Yeah, and I'll say for the third time, we want you to tell them safely, right? And yes. if you're a student yes. listener, you know, it, it, it's possible to, everything that I'm hearing, like it's still okay to go outside and go for a jog. It's about the, it's about the people, right? And so mm -hmm. that social distancing is, is just uh, massively important. Uh, please don't, you know, go to your advisor and say, well, exactly. Mike and Mark, Mike and Mark told me I had to. Um <laughs> And uh, and thank you for giving me a moment to to pull it there together, Mark. I uh, you 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 know me better than most, and I, I wear my my heart on my sleeve. And stepping out of my lab for what I feel like is going to be the last time this year, yesterday was uh, was a tough moment. I know, and 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 I I wanted to compliment you on on what you posted on Facebook this morning. I, I read that when I got up, and I I think you're you're exactly right. It is okay not to be okay right now. Um, and we need to all recognize that that's where a lot of us are. Um, yeah. and, and so you going back to the, your story about the, 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 the food, uh, provisioning for those free and reduced or for just people who need it, uh, from your school. Um, you're right. You need to be very cautious about showing people who are suffering in some way. And, and I don't necessarily want to say that free and reduced is, is a suffering, but there, there, there are privacy issues that you always want to be conscious about. So can you find an angle where we can't identify who the person is, but you see the people from your school or from your district that are serving the food, you see their faces. And so we're able to identify some of the people within the photograph. Um, right. What what I what we don't want to see is just pictures of the backs of people's heads. That right. that 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 would not be the kinds of pictures you would want to be putting in your publication if this was a regular period of time. So don't fall back to that now. Let's talk a little bit about additional opportunities for coverage. Um, and I I know I had the podcast with Lori, and we can we can push through this part um, pretty succinctly, but. Mm -hmm. When we were kind of pre-gaming the podcast, we were brainstorming, you know, how do we not just have this be photos of the yearbook photographers or reporters uh, or staff members uh, experience of this, but how do we reach out to others? And this concept has been around for years. We just crowdsource it, right? We have the means to share digital images literally in an instant. So, you know, it could be the yearbook staff uh, just saying broadly, reach out and, and let me back up one second i've said to my staff like keep an eye on snapchat keep mm -hmm. an eye on twitter like what are people talking about what are people doing one of my uh, my layout editor she said she's meeting with her buddies the lunch table group every day at their actual lunch time to have virtual lunch together like a that's amazing and kind of makes yeah. me get teary-eyed again b great photo op c incredible yearbook story exactly um but let's just not have it be quotes from my yearbook kiddo who's at the table, but she is the uh, uh, entry point for our staff to that story. Um, you had mentioned, you know, what if we crowdsource six people and say, hey, uh, tomorrow morning, 917 in the morning, take a picture of what you're doing. And we do a story of a moment in time. Did I have that that concept yes, right? Exactly. In other words, um, I, and and I I want to go back to what you just talked about. What you know what what about doing coverage of what are you doing to maintain normalcy in these unnormal times? 
And, and that idea of the group who's gathering together for lunch, just like they would if they were still at school, I would be willing to bet that there's another hundred things that people are doing to try and keep that sense of normalcy in their lives. So are you telling that story? Yeah. Yeah. But, but so, so going back to those, those can be some really fun assignments is pick at one time of the day, something, you know, a time that maybe ties into study hall at your school or lunch. Or maybe time. there's a thematic connection. If you're like exactly. in your, you know, 10th year of your book, do, do 10 kids or something like that. Exactly. And, and it's, and, and you want to, to capture, you know, it's, to me, it's always still about the people. It's not, a, you know, we, we want to use as little inanimate objects as we have to. So show me the, what you're doing right now, but don't just make it about the, the room or the about things and stuff, the things and stuff. I, I want to, I still want to see people in those pictures. Yeah, I think yeah, you could absolutely. also, you know, there, there was for a period of time, there was this really great series uh, called a day in the life. And they, they would send out hundreds of photographers around a, usually a country. It was, you know, they did the day in the life of America. They did. The first one was day in the life of Africa. Um, and it was doc, you know, it was all these photographers documenting one specific day, all of them shooting right. that one 24 hour period. So, so I think that could be a really cool story as well is, you know, what's a day in the life of living under coronavirus like, and yeah. you get all your photographers, but you also crowdsource that and you get a series of images that could be a really great storytelling moment. Um, I've got two more for you. Um, yeah. I was thinking about for my sons, they went straight into um, live uh, video instruction today uh, from their school. So they're really expected to be on from like 8 a.m. till 3 p.m. And we're in day one of it. But for both of them, we tidied up a spot downstairs, um, each in a separate room that's like their little learning nook. So mm -hmm. I've seen really neat coverage uh, in a normal year in a normal yearbook of like a story in the life of this desk. Like who are the eight people who sit in this desk during the day or where are the comfy spots around school? So could we crowdsource students doing a step back? I, I know, I know, and I honor what you said about faces. Don't get me yeah. wrong. I, uh, I'm coming from this from a perspective with Tesseray this year. We did spread, my students did spreads that were literally called things and stuff spreads mm. um, inspired by some of the pros and, and they work for us. There's trust me, there's plenty of faces in the book. Um, <laughs> exactly. But but uh, but keeping it in balance, uh, is there an opportunity for students to shoot their nooks? Like I'm on my beanbag chair, I'm at my desk, I I, I put some flowers in a vase, um, I've got my water bottle here. That's one of them. Uh, another uh, would be um, I lost it. We I think we talked about like stockpiling goods. Like yeah yeah what you know? yeah, in other words, uh, there there was this really great series of uh, images where people showed what you know what was their family's meal for that day? You know, and, and some really beautiful portraits of the family with, you know, whatever part of the world they were in. So show me what your family, what does what your family consider the most important? Is it toilet paper or is it something else that you all made sure that you had enough of? Is it, right. is it medications? Is it, in other words, what is it that tells the story about how your family is coping with that? Um, I would also go back. So talking about learning space, Mike, a really interesting way to do that might be to, again, use the, the virtual classrooms that we're creating. What if instead of having the, the, per, the student show, capturing a picture of their learning space, what if you've got a photographer actually photographing through FaceTime or Zoom or something like that, a portrait of that student in their learning space? Right. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. You know, in our uh, planning for today, we were talking about um, getting it right in the camera. And um, 
I'm feeling really good about what we've been talking about. Um, and then at the same time, we're, uh, I, I don't want to make the podcast too, too long, but could you just summarize kind of that straight out of the camera uh, thought process? We are in the digital age. Oh, I can fix it in post. Um, you know, what considerations, if we're going back to cell phones, assuming that we've got SLRs locked in the lab, you know, those tend to be a little bit wider angle lenses. So people would pinch zoom, but that's bad. So could you just yeah. maybe a couple quick three points on how do we do it right as well as we can right in the, uh, the, the smartphone? So, uh, you know, you, you mentioned this earlier, the best camera is the one that you have with you. And if you don't have access to a DSLR, you don't have access to high-end equipment that you're used to photographing with, who cares? It's about capturing images with whatever you have. And for most of us, that is a smartphone these days. I think it's important that you think about that entire rectangle when you're photographing, that it is not just, you know, the, the object that's 10 feet away, um, and again, maintaining that social distance, but can't, you know, always try to fill the frame. Use that entire space that you have available to you. Don't waste it by thinking, oh, I'll just crop that out later. But try to get as large an image as you can with the data that you're able to capture on that phone so that you're then able to use it at whatever size you need in your publication. So... You know, when I when I was in the classroom uh, for those for those 12 years, and this is what I learned in all of my college classes, is that I didn't allow my students to crop. They you know, when they got into the darkroom and that's how long ago this was, it was film and, and processing the film and making enlargements from that. Everything had to be printed full frame because I wanted to see what they had seen through that viewfinder. And I wanted them thinking about that composition before they took the picture, not afterwards. And I think that's even more critical when you're dealing with, you know, whatever age of phone you have, it may not be a really large file. It doesn't have to be as long as you're using the data that you have available to you. And that means filling that frame, getting all the information in there that you want and making sure that your exposure is right and that you don't have bright lights coming in that can be a distraction or can be fooling the light meter in the phone so that uh, you've got an image that's ready to use as opposed to having to really think about, oh, I've got to go in and adjust brightness and contrast and color balance and all those things. No, get it right when you take the picture and then you don't have to worry about it afterwards. Knowing that we want to keep things frugal, um, and I also know that if I investigated your phone right now, you'd probably have 37 different photo apps. Uh, but <laughs> you, You've been looking not, at my phone, haven't you? Yes. Yes. yes yeah, hackers. Um, as to not overwhelm the audience, what's a top line, one or two either freebies or must have, maybe it's regardless of Android or Apple, um, What aside from the native uh, phone, or sorry, native camera apps, which three years ago, I mean, they're, they're much better three years now, sorry, they're much better now than they were three years ago. Um, what's one or two quick downloads, uh, free or cheap? Um, it, there is a cost to this one, but it is cheap. It's a couple of bucks, but my go-to is pro 645. And the reason I like it is because it, it gives one, it gives me some manual controls over the camera. And I think there are some that probably do a little bit better job with this. But what I like about Pro 645 is that it actually has built in different film and formats that I can choose from. So I want to do a, a, a really cool panoramic photo or a really narrow horizontal. I can choose that format and I can choose black and white films or color films. So for, for an old film guy, it, it's very comforting. But the really nice thing about it is that I can choose with that app and other apps allow this as well, that instead of capturing a compressed JPEG file, which is always going to be a lower quality image because they're trying to save space with Pro 645, I can capture what they call a raw file. It's really an uncompressed TIFF file. It okay. gives me a much larger file size to be able to work with that I could then put whatever size I need on the page. And especially if we're talking about a size nine yearbook, if we want to try to go full bleed, uh, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm, I, I cannot 
this is uh, I don't I don't feel terrible saying this, but I, I really hope I see in next year's batch of yearbooks. Like I want to see a spread that is that vanishing point shot down an aisle in a store that has meager. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's the moment we're living in. I can picture yep. it in my head, and there's a, there's an opportunity there. It's it's a crisis and distressing, but we have to report this story. Um, so a larger file size then would help us get to that like full bleed or a double truck, exactly, you know, a, a, exactly, a full size. Two two other apps that I would also tell people to check out would be ProCam, and one called Manual. And again, those give you a little bit of the controls that we're used to working with on a DSLR. It's right there in the name. <laughs> yep. We've got uh, a lot of advisors who are locked out of their labs and who don't have access to Photoshop and the other tech and the screens. Um, we know that Photoshop and Lightroom can run on iPads. That still comes as a cost. Uh, if advisors aren't familiar with the concept of open source, it's kind of like the the creative commons of, of software. Open source software is, is free. Uh, and there's an open source Photoshop clone that's called GIMP. That's G-I-M-P. You can go to GIMP.org. It's multi-platform. It is absolutely free. And things um, geographically, like location-wise, are generally in the same place as they are in Photoshop. And if your kids are uh, Photoshop competent and are able to download, or even if they're not, if they're able to download to a either a school one-to-one or their own home personal computer or laptop, I think you'd find uh, a great deal of, of help from GIMP. Again, the price is free. It's a beautiful one. You were telling me about uh, Affinity Photo. It's a, an up-and-comer. It's been around a couple of years. Yeah, it has. And it, it is, unfortunately, Mac only, or fortunately, depending on which side of the platform debate you're on. Um, but it actually recently, uh, there's been some review f- sites that have actually chosen Affinity Photo over Photoshop, primarily wow. because it's 49 bucks. And one time, 49 One time, bucks. exactly. So you're no longer in, and you, we could spend hours debating the, the subscription model that software companies have moved to. And there's certainly reasons for them doing that. But from the standpoint of a student or a classroom teacher, uh, only having to pay once is really nice. And so I would say if you're a Mac user, uh, you definitely want to take a look at Affinity Photo because it it will provide you most of the same functionality as what you would get in Photoshop for a lot less money. If you're a user or a student, uh, an advisor who's not real comfortable with masking and isolating uh, a subject off of a background, uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, remove.bg, that's the website, it's not a .com, it's remove.bg, like background, uh, hit. It was, I think, some guys like experiment or project or something mm-hmm. and it is now um, a paid service but it's a pretty modest fee and uh, i ran some tests that i'll share in that google doc which will be posted in the show notes uh, of an apple and some cleats and a catcher's mitt that i shot on uh, white paper uh, this morning in preparation for this podcast you drop it into remove.bg and for nine dollars uh, you get 40 uh, removes or 40 edits or credits um which would be 40 images for your book or your right. publication. And it does it. It literally does it in like seven seconds and it's done. And it's, you do lose the shadows. So if you wanted your apple to kind of, you know, sit on the spread or your cleats to sit on the spread and kind of have a shadowy look, this would probably not be the tool for you. Uh, but I was really impressed. My first interaction with it was this morning. Again, that's remove.bg and it comes at a pretty modest price. Is there any uh, kind of last licks there, Mark? No, I've actually I've played a little bit with Remove BG when when people first started talking about it, and it's it is a it does a, a really great job for the for what you're paying for, and yeah. I think it's uh, you know while we don't want to say make everything a cutout, uh, if that's what you need access to, uh, there's a great resource if you don't have software on your machine. Let's talk. Um, I'm about to get kicked out of my daughter's bedroom where I'm recording this. <laughs> uh, they need their uh, their space back. So just briefly, uh, let's. I feel like this gets us into self care a little bit. Uh, yep. So many advisors, uh, certainly our student journalists, are themselves uh, creators. They come to our student media programs because they love uh, photography, the uh, act of creation, be it design, even creating a, a story, writing a story, reporting it. Um, 
get out and take pictures yourselves, yeah. right? I mean, you, you were telling me about a, a project somebody gave themselves, but just this idea of if you want to think about it as documenting the world that we're living in, or you could flip it 180 degrees and say, I want to get out of this moment and I, I just want to go take a picture of this beautiful flower and forget about CNN for a couple of minutes. Yeah. Just go shoot and, and, and go take some pictures. I think I think every working professional, whether it's a photographer or a writer or whatever, will tell you, you need to do personal work. You need to, you know, you, you especially when you're being tasked to create images for the yearbook or the newspaper or, or online, you need to find some time to go take pictures of things you really love, whether it is flowers or landscapes or the clouds or the, you know, the example I, I gave you earlier when we were talking about this is that uh, Corey Hale, who's a teacher in in the in Texas in the Dallas Fort Worth area, has this really great series that he's done of a tree out of his window every single day through all four seasons, and it's just a it's just a beautiful little moment as the tree goes from bare to leaves to you know fall as the colors are changing, um, and and while I'm hoping we're not talking about being out of school for for a year, um, having those kinds of, you know, it's, it's not only that creative endeavor, but it's also a routine that you have for yourself that just helps keep you sane sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mark Murray, um, strange times, my friend. And, uh, as you know, I, uh, I, I so appreciate your your friendship, your mentorship, uh, your your uh, wise words today, and and sharing uh, of your perspective and advice to all of the students and advisors out there. And you uh, wash your hands and and stay safe and healthy, my friend. Well, I, you know, I I applaud you for for not thinking about just yourself and your family, which you do. You know, if if there was a, a Dad of the Year award in the JEA environment, I think yet you would be it hands down. Uh, I, I think you're the way you care and think about your family. Uh, but the way you allow that to extend out to everybody else is, is what makes you such a neat person. So, well, um, I appreciate I, that. Thank, thank you for inviting me to, to be on, uh, your, your podcast. And, uh, you know, again, to everyone out there, it's, it, it, it is, a it is a strange time, but at the same time, it's, you know, it, you, you hate to think about what it provides to us as journalists, but it's also some really good storytelling time and take, take that opportunity to find some really great stories to tell with, to your readers. Even you if, know, even if, Mark, even if you don't have prom or graduation this year. I, uh, I know we lost, you know, you know where we would be right now. It's Wednesday. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, we'd we'd be at Columbia University at the spring convention. Well, I'm I'm you know. I might be at Levain Bakery. You know, it it is that time <laughs> of day where maybe I'd be picking up some cookies. But yes, we we would be in New York at CSPA, and and um, you know, we got news yesterday that that JA and NSPA have canceled the uh, convention in Nashville. Uh, I got word this morning that the state journalism convention in Austin. Or in Texas, and 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 is going to be canceled for early May. Um, so it, it's you know, those are those are tough things to lose because we count on seeing those friends uh, year after year, and and it's, and it's going to be hard not to see them or spend time with That's them. That's true, and 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 really, I you're absolutely right. My my thought, uh, we we were there in November in D.C. And I'll just close with this, that the um, the local committee uh, steered by the <laughs> amazing uh, Megan Percival identified the perfect um, motto for that convention. And it I just it's it's all the more important today that now more than ever, journalism matters. Mm-hmm. And uh, to you advisors out there, and hopefully there's some students listening. Your your jobs are not done just because we're not in face to face classes. You, you, I'm going to say, get out there and please understand the five warnings we've given you uh, <laughs> to to be safe and 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 keep that social distance. But 
get out there and cover this story because right now it, it's the story of the year and mm-hmm. uh you know we we don't know we don't know what's coming next and i don't mean that in a doom and gloom way i just there's updates on the daily and if we do sit on our couches and just hunker down and play call of duty i, I think that we're missing massive massive opportunities uh, in our schools and our school publications so mark again thank you so much for being with us and you stay safe buddy you too you know, forgive my uh, my emotions in there, friends. Uh, it's just been a whole lot, and and I'm not I'm not okay. And I imagine most of you aren't either. I go up and down, um, sometimes by the hour, others by the minute, and um, and that's okay. That's okay. And and we're just kind of taking it a day and uh, an hour at a time. I want to thank Mark uh, for all of his uh, advice and perspective. Um, one thing that I really appreciated about that conversation was that so much of it felt like I could actually put it to practice and and do that stuff with my kids. So I hope uh, I hope that you found it useful uh, anyhow, and feel free to uh, assign it, make it homework. I can be part of your virtual learning uh, uh, activities and, and all the rest. If you want to be in touch, you can reach out at iteachyourbook at gmail.com. You can find the podcast on Twitter at, at yourbookwise. Would definitely encourage you to head over to jea.org and take a look at the materials that they have uh, brought from behind the firewall uh, so that they are free to everybody who's working through distance learning. Certainly do check out uh, studentpress.org, get over to cspa.columbia.edu and the ATPI website. I believe I'm correct in saying it's atpi.org. We'll put that in the show notes as well. There's so many resources out there uh, that you and yours and your students can tap into. Uh, make sure that you're you're availing yourself of those opportunities. At any rate, friends, uh, I, again, I, I these are <laughs> surreal times, and uh, I hope that you're taking care of yourselves. I hope that you are finding meaningful ways to be there for your students. Um, they need you. They need us in these times. And uh, whatever you can do f- to support connection and routine i don't think it serves us well to load them up with work and and overwhelm them it's you know again uncharted territory for us all um maybe the personal more than anything is paramount and just letting your kids know that you uh, that you care about them and that you're still there for them at any rate uh good luck be well wash your hands we'll talk soon <laughs>